I've lived in New Jersey my entire life. I've been a fiction writer, actor, playwright, blogger, gourmet chef, home renovator, event planner, landscape architect, and decorator. Now, I'm married to a professional drummer who is also an award-winning photographer, so the arts have always been really important to me. There are so many people in New Jersey that are involved in the arts, and I am planning to talk to all of them. Well, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them. And I'm inviting you to listen in. I'm Lucille Lasapio, talking arts and culture, and this is Hazlitt Coffee Talk. Stage acting and screen acting are very different, and so are the preferences of different actors. Today I'm talking to Michael Kroll, who has really concentrated on stage acting. With his decades of experience, Michael has garnered a reputation as a strong actor and director. And today we talk about his favorite parts, his regrets, and the worst director he's ever worked with. So today I am talking with Michael Kroll. Hello, Michael. Hello, Lucille. And we're lucky that his lovely wife, Lynn, is here looking on to correct anything he says wrong. That's my job. <laughs> That's her job, yes. <laughs> so, Michael, there are lots of roles that I'd love to play on stage, among them Maggie in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Unfortunately, as we get older, a lot of those roles are simply not appropriate for us anymore. <laughs> Although I think I could still play Maggie. Of course you could. <laughs> are there roles that you would have loved to play that you feel like you'll never get the chance to play in the future? Yeah, because of my age, I guess, but Don Quixote. Now, why couldn't you play Don Quixote? Maybe the pipes aren't what they used to be, you know, the singing pipes. Also, it's not a, a play that's done very often anymore, and that's, that would be one of the big ones. Other ones, I'm not sure, you know, because I've played so many wonderful people. And as I like to say, I've been all over the world. I've been a king. I have been a salesman. I have been a rascal. I have been a thief, all without leaving the stage. What are the favorite roles that you've played? Henry Drummond in Inherit the Wind. Norman in The Dresser. And Scrooge. That's your favorite, right? Scrooge? Well, I mean, you played it the story. most. Yeah, yeah I, I've done the musical, oh, it was probably about 35 years or so. Another five, six years of my adaption to a one-man show. So how do you keep it fresh after doing it for so many years? You fall in love with a story, and you, you revisit it as, as brand new every time you do it. I, I have yet to do a repeat performance of any role without discovering something new about that role. The thing is, it's all on how the other actors deliver their lines to you. Mm -hmm. That's why I love monologues. <laughs> because uh, monologues, the only person who can mess up is me. What, what's your favorite monologue? <laughs> if you do an hour and a half one-man show, I guess that would be a monologue, yeah, I right? Guess. But there have been a number of them. I played John Adams once, and there's some wonderful monologues in there. Monologues are, are fun, and so is the instance where you're co-star goes up on their lines. Oh, yeah. And you have to know their lines and then kind of fill in the blanks? I actually find that very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I find it thrilling on stage when that happens. Mm. And that's why you always have to know the story. If you know the story, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you go off book or you go off, you go up on your lines, you can always circle back and find your way back. Yeah. You know, there was a very, I thought, funny time while I was playing Ben Franklin in 1776. There's a scene where Franklin, he was supposed to interrupt a certain vote. Well, I was so comfortable <laughs> that I was almost falling asleep. You forgot to interrupt? I forgot to interrupt. But eventually got back on track and I still had no idea that I had gone up on a line. That's the most terrifying thing on stage yeah. when you don't realize. Walking off stage and uh, turned to one of my friends walking off stage and said, wow, somebody really messed up back there. <laughs> he says, uh, Mike, it was you. <laughs> <laughs> 
like me and most other artists that I've interviewed for this podcast, the creative arts are not your first career. Should have been. Yeah, tell me about what you do in real life, and then we'll talk about why it wasn't. Well, what I do in real life now is semi-retired. You know, I had been in the direct marketing industry for decades. And as far as the theater, with COVID having hit and not being able to perform like I used to, it really, Lucille, is like losing a limb. It's something that has always been a part of my life. And now that I'm so limited to it, that's heartbreaking to not have the opportunity, especially now when I'm available to do it. And I've had friends who are, are approaching me even now to work on other things like television and, and short films and so forth. So now that the uh, opportunity is you know, a little more freedom, I'm going to pursue some of that and see what happens. So you never pursued acting as a career, and it sounds like you kind of regret that. Very much. I've taken you know little baby steps and dipped a toe in the water for industrial films, and I did commercial stuff up in the city. But you know, live theater is really my my passion. And why? Why didn't you pursue it? For the same reason a lot of people don't. Uh, I like to eat yeah. on a regular basis. I really feel that when you have to do something for the money, you lose the joy. And that's why I stopped looking at commercials. There's a line in a, in a movie where uh, somebody asks, you know, what do you do for a living? He says, oh, I'm an actor. I do a lot of tele uh, television commercials. The other person said, oh, well, that's where the money is. And sarcastically, the guy says, yeah, and the artistic thrills, too. Of course, I haven't done any acting in the last year or so. But when I was doing murder mysteries, I had so much fun, I forgot I was getting paid. Yeah. Acting for the pleasure of it is a whole different thing than having to make a living at it. Yes, and even directing. But talk to me about your directing. Somebody asked me once, what do you get out of directing? And the truth is, directing is like painting. When you're an actor, you're the painting. When you're a director, I can actually step back and look at the work. And it's a joy. It's a lot more work. I can't expect my actors to know every line of the play, so I try to memorize the lines before them. It's very fulfilling, and you're in control, and it's not about control, but it's about stepping back and looking at the mm. painting. If you ask me which do I prefer, I prefer acting, but I enjoy directing as well. Now, you've done a lot of regional theater, but you've also done at least one off-Broadway show. Let's be honest, there's a big difference, right? There is and there isn't. It's interesting. I mean, I did uh, off-Broadway, it was a show called um, The Trial of Mary Todd Lincoln. It was about Lincoln's wife. It was... It was Interesting because it was the same amount of rehearsal time. We had the luxury of props and so forth that we didn't have to go hunt for or costumes and stuff like that. But you'd be surprised how many professional actors, you'd be surprised how many of them don't know what is left stage, what is right stage, what is upstage, <laughs> what is downstage. It's, it's amazing to me. Professional actors that you see on television mm -hmm. have no idea. We are the ones with the knowledge. Exactly. <laughs> and also, you know, if somebody asks me, you know, uh, don't you want anybody to be a movie star or a big actor? No, I want to be able to work on stage and enjoy the craft. Do you feel that stage acting is more real acting than, say, television? Having never done television, I wouldn't really know. But a lot of television actors are not aware. Certainly you have to hit your mark and be aware of cameras and so forth. I mean, I've actually seen television sitcoms being filmed, and you can see there is a huge difference. There's yeah. many, many breaks. People looking at their lines in between the breaks. You can make mistakes and you can redo. Yeah. So there's a little more thrill of being in front of a live audience without being able to stop. Can we do that again? You always hear the differences between being a Broadway actor and a television actor. 
and I think Broadway actors tend to get more respect because of those differences, because there aren't do-overs. Plus the fact that they're probably still working three jobs. Yeah, unfortunately. Broadway doesn't pay as much as people might right. think it does. You get, you get paid in respect. <laughs> You know, well, and then that's funny too because in community theater, people, are, well, I'm not going to do that because I don't get paid. Yes, you do. Yes, mm -hmm. you do. You know how? Applause. Yeah. So you know, I want to get back to Scrooge a little bit. Sure. How are you like Scrooge in real life? My <laughs> wife should not answer this. More of him as after the redemption, because when I first read this, the, the the book, I thought, wow. Besides the live for the moment or redemption. It was just a fabulous ghost story. How am I like him now? Every person I know on the planet has regrets of some sort, mm -hmm. but it, it's never too late is what Scrooge tells me. Yeah, so that, that's his redeeming quality. The Absolutely. Fact that he's, he is redeemable. But he didn't know it. He was just a bitter person. He was just a capitalist pig. <laughs> <laughs> An old white man. Right, Lynn? He was old. He was, yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you about other roles that you've played. I've had roles that after I've accepted them, I regretted it. And you must have had some really bad roles as well, maybe early in your career. Which was the worst? The worst would have to be the lead in a horrible little play called The Mind with the Dirty Man. At the Damn Sight Dinner Theater? Nope. No, oh, this really? was in this was in uh, Seabright. It was probably almost as bad as you know doing uh, Willie Loman in Dinner Theater. <laughs> it, it was it was. So so why why was it so bad? Was it, it was a horrible play? Yeah. In in my opinion, it just and it wasn't directed well. It wasn't acted well. And it, back in the early days, I would do three, four, five, six shows a year. And at one point, I was doing two plays at the same time. Well, <laughs> rehearsing them both at the same time. Mm. I'd like to know who you think are some of the best directors that you've worked with. Dr. James McGlone at the Celtic Theater Company, Mark Fallon. Michael Chartier did a great job directing The Dresser. Myself? No. Uh, <laughs> so who are some of the worst directors you've worked with? And Mark I, Fleming. I might, what? Who's Mark, that? Mark Fleming. Really? Yes. Absolutely. Do you want to leave this in or take it out? <laughs> no, you can leave it in. He doesn't, he quote unquote retired from directing. From, yeah, yeah. From theater. He did the original Scrooge musical at Spring Lake in 1983. It had to be, must have been maybe 120 people on stage at one point. The stage was Boeing. Yeah. And the play, it ended close to midnight. Uh. He did the same thing with Camelot when I did it there. You may say, well, why'd you keep doing shows with him? Because the roles are because something roles, I wanted. Right. Since I know some of the people are going to be listening to this, and I, I, I don't want to offend anybody. One of the favorite roles I did was Henry Drummond, and that was directed by uh, Inherit the Wind was directed by uh, Tom Frascator. Oh yeah, Tom's fun to work with. Yeah, I once took a role in a regional theater group that was being directed by someone who was coming down from New York. That's in quotes. Okay. We spent the entire first rehearsal doing theater games and making up stories about our characters, and this was like something that really turned me off. I, I ended up walking away from the part. I told them that there was a conflict with work, and it was the first week, so I didn't feel badly about that. After all, I had been working at the <laughs> dam site where we would rehearse for maybe three weeks, and we really got down to business immediately. 
Have you ever walked away from a role after you accepted it? No, but I know what you're talking about with the sensory awareness exercises. Oh, we had to make up songs about, you know. I took an acting class at Brookdale. Then they had the sensory awareness exercises, which I do not believe in. And they had all of us sit in a circle and we each had a piece of bread. What are you thinking about when you take a bite of this and I'm listening to these people and and this guy next to me says well at the crunch makes me think of horses in the snow and and then she asked me I said it needs butter <laughs> you, know, you know it's just I I'm a, I'm of the school of Olivier why don't you just try acting it's so much easier yeah. I can admire somebody's work but how they get there is their own business yeah. I don't want to be an ice cream cone yeah <laughs> and they're like oh he's coming down from New York like, he was an out-of-work actor, no doubt, that, you know, needed a job and came to direct the play at the Homedale Theatre Company. What kind of a difference does it make to you when you start wearing a costume? None. No difference? No. How about M- makeup? Makeup, maybe. But you shouldn't need a prop or a costume to be able to do the character. Well, yeah, I'm not asking about whether you need it, but does it feel differently for you when you're doing the Depends role? Depends on the role. If I'm doing Ben Franklin, it makes a big difference. For makeup, Absolutely. So you do transform when you're seeing your face in the mirror change. When I did Murder Mysteries with Murder on Cue, and I was Carmela Mozzarella. (laughs) Once I teased my hair out and put on really heavy makeup, I felt like Like Carmela Mozzarella. With with costumes and so forth. I mean, you you actually came to audition. I didn't cast you. uh, For Our Town. Was that at the Homedale? That was at Homedale. Yeah, thanks a lot. I really would have liked that part. you, You actually gave a very good audition. It wasn't where I was headed for it but you had a good point that you know the person or the actor playing the stage manager doesn't have to be a man and Helen Hunt had once done the part too and I'm at least as good as Helen Hunt. absolutely but the production that I directed no costumes of any era you know even though it was set around the turn of the century mm-hmm. because it could have taken place anytime anywhere I that was a bubble moment for me mm-hmm. that particular show why is that it all came together exactly as I had envisioned it but the stage manager would have been so much better had it been me. Could have, you're probably right, Lucille. Yeah. <laughs> now, I wrote a play called Sex and Garbage, which I actually had produced at the Grange Theater on Route 9 in Howell. The play was unusual in that I think there were seven or eight female characters and two male characters. And the two male characters were very minor roles for a change. Uh, I agree. There are far more roles available to men than there are to women. When I was in college, I had an acting class. I picked the final monologue from The Glass Menagerie. The uh, teacher said, that was really good, but next time do a female monologue. Why? Yeah. I want to be... A man? Yeah, Yeah. I want to be a man. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not for the penis. (laughs) It's for the privilege. (laughs) Well, when you have one, you have the other. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now, let me ask this. What's impressed you the most about the people that you've worked with locally in theater? Commitment. They're committed to the craft. They're committed to to keeping the arts alive. And when COVID hit, I said, oh, my God, are we ever going to be able to do any live theater ever again? Mm. Are these companies, how are they going to survive? And how did they survive? Fundraisers, bringing in some of their old uh, cast members and stuff to do reviews and so forth, do readings. And they did it because they're committed to it. I performed in Tally's Folly with one other actor, and that was challenging. If it wasn't his line, it was mine. So the pressure was really on. 
With an entire cast, you can sometimes wing it. If you forget a line, then someone else can pick it up. So you've done a one-man show. Tell me about that experience. It was the one, my one-man adaptation of A Christmas Carol, not related to what was done on Broadway. I self-directed it. You know, as an actor, I thought the director was terrible. I was just going to ask you, did you think the director was an <laughs> He was. He was. God, he was so hard on me. Having memorized pretty much the whole book and then pairing it down to an hour and a half, including an in, uh, intermission, was the challenge. Charles Dickens did this to raise money himself. His was about three and a half hours long. He did it in New York. He did an American tour of it. Some people said it's probably what killed him in the end. I can understand that. It is exhausting, um, but it is so fulfilling. And it also, as an actor, really is so much fun to play. Uh, I think it was 29 different characters, different voices, different postures, different intonations, different dialects of the English language. And of course, you never have a wrong line because it's only you. You can say whatever you want. Not necessarily, because you have lighting cues. You have sound cues. If you go up on the lines, you're a lighting guy. You know, I mean, you've got to be careful. The only other time I've come close to that is when I directed same time next year at Spring Lake. Well, not only did I direct it, I was also playing George. And it was a, a great production, a lot of costume changes, a lot of makeup mm. changes in between the scenes. Mm -hmm. But at the time, somebody said, you really don't want to direct this. We pulled it off, but I would never do that again because you're 50% of the cast. Now, with, with me being a one-man show, it's a different environment. You know, I, I know ahead of time my own blocking. I'm not worried about another actor who may go up or do I support them or mm -hmm. if I go up on a line, what's going to happen to them? So is it a challenge? Yeah. Do I prefer working with other actors? Yeah. Have you had the desire to be on film or in television? Not particularly. Why do you think that you haven't been? Mm, opportunity is always the big answer to that. Time, you know, when it was working full time, there's no way you're going to do that. Uh, I had an opportunity to do a show in New York with Billy, and I was working a full time job, and I, yeah. I, I couldn't just quit. I have a mortgage to pay. Well, now that you and I are both semi-retired, we have the opportunity to start auditioning in New York, like Greg Schwears. Yep. Greg Schwears has gotten some great roles. He has great roles. I've taught him everything he knows. It's funny, because he said he doesn't even know who you are. I have a very funny story about Greg Schwears. We were doing The Music Man together, and there's mm -hmm. a scene where I'm supposed to punch him. <laughs> and we have the typical stage punch. He turned his head the wrong way. And I thought to myself, wow, that sounded pretty good tonight. You know, we walk off stage and he said, you know, you, you chipped my tooth. I felt so horrible. And he's like, don't worry. I said, so the next night, I barely touch him. And the son of a bitch spits out a tic-tac on stage <laughs> and walks off stage, leaving me alone to try and not laugh. It was a great thing, and I wish I'd thought of it first. <laughs> and it's interesting, when I did 1776 at uh, Plays in the Park, the gentleman David Cantor, one of the finest actors I've ever worked with, played John Adams. And he took me aside backstage, and he says, you know, if you tried it, you would have probably gone places. And mm. I, I said, that's very bittersweet, thank you. So he recently reached out to me with some ideas on how to break out into things. So now that there's time, maybe. So, believe it or not, we've come to almost the end, and this is my last question for you. Uh-oh. <laughs> You've been acting for many, 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 many years, yet you have a career that you made your living at. 
If someone told you that they wanted to pursue a career in acting, what would be your advice to them? Do it soon. Do it soon. Follow your heart, not your head. Do it while you're young and follow your dream. Don't wait until it's too late to look back and say, wow, I wish I'd done that. You know, regrets are silly. Sometimes they're stupid. I have a wonderful life. I have a wonderful wife. I have a wonderful family. Do it soon. Do it when you're young. Michael, thank you so much. Thank and, you. And Lynn, thank you. You're welcome. This has been fun. It really has. I love the arts, and I love to talk, and that's why I'm talking to local artists. And if you like listening, then subscribe to my podcast. You can do it on this page, on iTunes, or anywhere you get podcasts. I'm Lucille Sapio, and this is Hazlitt Coffee Talk. Thank you.